Section 9a of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The labor of the following pages, which shall occupy this section, will be to ascertain whether the Negro race, properly so distinguished, in an unamalgamated character, are naturally equal with the other races of men, the red and the white, in point of intellectual faculties. That they really are thus equal is vehemently contended for by all abolitionists of both Europe and America, some even holding them superior, while anti-abolitionists resist this opinion as a fallacy. An appeal to direct and also to circumstantial evidence in relation to the subject is the only way to decide it. Abolitionists are sure that the only reason of their present amazing inferiority arises wholly from the influence of the treatment of the white nations toward them. Remove this, say they, educate them, and give them a fair chance in the world, then it will soon be seen that, as a people, they are equally talented with the other races of the human family. But here, at the very outset of the inquiry, it is desirable to ascertain how it came to pass that it was not the Negro man who aspired to the paramount condition, now and always enjoyed by the white race. If the people of Ham were originally equal, as to mental faculties, with the other races, how came they in their present degraded condition? How has it happened that the Negro race has not attained in the world to the very same condition the white race now occupy, and the whites fallen into the condition of the blacks, seeing they are, as is contended, equal with each other? Or, if this is true, why are they not alike? There must be some great reason for this. It is asserted by abolitionists that the Negro race were, in the first ages after the flood, the authors of all the arts and sciences which obtained in ancient Egypt, and that from these arose, as from a germ, the present lights of mankind. If this were true, we ask how they, the authors, in their posterity, have lost that enviable position. How has it come to pass that the same power which prompted them to so many and to so great improvements has not been able to sustain itself? Could this be shown to have been a fact respecting the Negro race, it would prove an anomaly indeed, and yet would secure but little in their favor on account of the horrid retrograde they have made in the world. But we affirm that they were not the authors of either arts or sciences, as understood in those times, which, according to history, as well as the scriptures, were cultivated in ancient Africa. We sustain this affirmation by showing that the Egyptians, and all other peoples of those ages, received and carried with them a knowledge of the arts and sciences, as understood at that era of the world, from the house of Noah. That letters were known in the house of Noah, 
is absolutely certain, deduced from many circumstances, and of necessity to all the people, or to heads of tribes and communities for the first few hundred years, immediately after the flood. One of these circumstances, or evidences, arises from the late discoveries made in the foundations of the ancient tower of Belus, or Babel, as it is commonly called, as well as from the architectural works of the people of Shem and Japheth, before the tower was built. Sir Robert Kerr Porter, under the patronage of the government of England, went to the country of ancient Persia, Tartary, Armenia, Chaldea, and Babylon, on the Euphrates, in the years 1820 and 1823, on a tour of antiquarian discovery. While on the Euphrates, he found, as reported in his work, the ancient site of the Temple of Belos, or Tower of Babel, the same spoken of by Moses in the book of Genesis, which was built by Nimrod, the grandson of Ham. At the spot where the tower stood, which was built only about one hundred years after the flood, he found a vast heap of rubbish, forming a great mound or elevation, overgrown with brambles. Being desirous of examining the interior of this mighty mound, he procured the aid of several of the people living there, to dig along its skirts, when there was found, at some little depth, the original brick, forming the upper stratas of the foundation of the structure. The bricks thus discovered were about one foot square by three inches thick, and were covered on both sides with arrow-headed characters, having, in many respects, a resemblance to the present Hebrew letters. They were not hieroglyphics, or the pictures of creatures or things, but were evidently letters, or signs of ideas, placed in due order, as letters are now arranged, running in parallel lines across the bricks. There were instances, however, where those characters were set in perpendicular lines, or at right angles with each other. That they were letters is as evident as that any of the ancient characters of the Hebrew, Greek, Persian, or Chinese languages are letters. On these bricks was written, no doubt, the history of the tower, and the reasons of its being erected, the story of the flood, the ark, and of the nations before the flood, the original creation, etc., it appears that the letters were formed on the insides of the moulds in which the bricks were made, the characters being raised out above the general level of the face of the mould, so that when impressed on the clay before it was dried for burning, would cause facsimiles in the face of the brick, and thus be preserved from being broken when laid in great masses on top of each other. It may have been, however, that the letters were made by merely pressing down on each brick, as it came from a smooth mould, the type of a letter carved out of wood, and thus produce the same effect as if cast in a mould. Specimens of these letters may be seen in the work alluded to above, in great numbers, and are worthy of the attention of the curious. 
the work is in the state library. That letters were known before the flood appears also from the fact that music was taught and understood among the antediluvians. See Genesis chapter 4 verse 21, where it is said that one Jubal, a descendant of the family of Cain, was the father or instructor of all such as handled the harp and the organ. If music was taught, then of necessity they must have had a knowledge of characters of a competent description, by the means of which they recorded their music, or the science could not have been alluded to, as it is by Moses. If musical characters were then in use, of which there can be no doubt, then of necessity letters were also in use, or the rules of such as taught music could not have been systematically accomplished. Music being thus understood by the antediluvians, it is an evidence that they possessed a high condition of refinement, as a general knowledge of this accomplishment is considered the ne plus ultra of good breeding in refined society of every age. To carry out this belief, we are aided by Moses in another respect, who says, Genesis chapter 4 verse 22, that the people of that age, going back to the lifetime of Adam, had a knowledge of the manufacture of brass and iron, and that they were also agriculturalists, as well as shepherds and herdsmen. It is said by the Jewish rabbi that letters and writing were invented by Seth, the third son of Adam. Watson's Theological Dictionary, page 856. With the knowledge of such things, can it be possible that the antediluvians were not a civilized, laboring, trading, agricultural, mechanical, commercial, and scientific race? However many tribes, nations, kingdoms, and governments they may have been divided into around the whole globe, yet a knowledge of such refinements is stated by Moses to have certainly been in their possession. Of all this, is it possible that Noah, being born six hundred years before the flood, could have been ignorant, seeing he was a good man, and improved his mind, therefore, in every possible way? Could he have planned and built the ark without a knowledge of geometry, which also supposes the existence and use of arithmetical characters? Ham, Nimrod, and his co-adjusters must have had a knowledge of geometry as well as of letters, or they could not have projected, nor have built the tower, and the great cities, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar, on the river Euphrates, as Moses said they did. Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. From whom did Abraham, who was born only 292 years after the flood, derive a knowledge of arithmetic and astronomy, if not from the house of Noah? That Abraham had this knowledge is stated by Josephus, in his book of Jewish Antiquities. If Abraham had this knowledge, then it is clear that the Syrians, of which people Abraham was a member, 
also possessed it, who, with all the first nations immediately after the flood, derived it, as well as all other knowledge, from the house and members of the family of Noah, who brought it with them from beyond the flood in written characters. That Abraham was an educated man is evident from the character he sustained among his countrymen, the Chaldeans, or the ancient Syrians. And as the head and patriarch of the Hebrew or Jewish people, as well as from the business which he transacted with the Egyptians, Canaanites, and other countries of that age. If Abraham, then, was an educated man, and was versed in all the learning of that age, which was cultivated by the Chaldeans, who doubtless at that era and upward, toward the age of the ending of the flood, was composed of both white and red men, till such times as they were separated to their respective regions, then were also the patriarchs who were before Abraham's time, such as Arphaxad, Selah, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Serug, Nehor, and Terah, the father of Abraham, as well as Shem, who was Melchizedek, and the progenitor of all the patriarchs above named. From this state of the case, it is not hard to conceive that the Egyptian and Canaanite Negroes, who were the very first people of those countries, received all their knowledge of letters, of agriculture, of geometry, arithmetic, and astronomy, from the great and common source, the house of Noah, and the succeeding patriarchs. The opinion, therefore, that the Phoenician Negroes were the inventors of letters, is no authority. What though Cadmus, an Egyptian, as it is said, carried the knowledge of letters into Greece, first of all, at a very remote age, which we shall not dispute, yet this does not prove that the Egyptians invented them, as Cadmus, with the rest of his countrymen, derived that knowledge from the common source, the family of Noah. Whether this Cadmus, who is celebrated as the author of letters among the ancient Greeks, and the succeeding ages of the world, was a Phoenician or an Egyptian negro, is far from being certain. For we learn from Josephus's Jewish Antiquities, Book 8, that one of the sons of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, was named Cadmus, and was as likely to have been the Cadmus of ancient history, who carried letters into Greece, as any other man. As to architecture of the magnificent and exquisite descriptions, the Egyptians made but little advances till the age of Solomon, previous to which time their buildings were of the most common order, made of brick, both burnt and dried. Even the cities of the time of Joseph were of this description, useful and spacious, but not approaching to the magnificent. In all Africa, says the Universal Traveller, page 499, there does not now exist among the Negroes any architecture, above that of mere huts made of stakes driven in the ground and plastered inside and out. Of this description are the best buildings, 
shaped like beehives, conically. The rest are mere dens made of mud and sticks, or holes in the ground. These are the descendants of the mighty Egyptians, the Libyans and Ethiopians, whose lofty temples once filled Africa, if we are to believe abolitionists. But it is all an error. They were the authors of the architectural works of those ages no further than as slaves and laborers. The pyramids, which were built of hewn stone, was not the work of the woolly heads of Egypt, but of the shepherd kings called Kutea, from Arabia and the Persian Gulf, north of Egypt, who held, by conquest, for more than two hundred years the kingdoms of Egypt, during which time they enslaved the whole mass of the aboriginal people, when the pyramids and many other great works were built by slaves, at the dictation of the Hyksos, or shepherd kings. Watson. This was done prior to the time of Joseph's being sold into Egypt. The Hyksos kings were of the Abrahamic race, being descendants of his sons by Keturah, see Genesis chapter 25, who, settling eastward from Chaldea, where Abraham lived before he went to Canaan, expelled the children of Ham, or the Cushites, from the country, who, first of all, after the fall of the tower, settled there, on which account the country was alluded to by Moses, Genesis chapter 2 verse 13, by the name of Ethiopia, through which the Gihon flowed. This people, being thus expelled, went to Africa, and founded another kingdom, which also was called Ethiopia. Now on this account, the Hyksos race were called Cushite shepherds, namely, because they had conquered and dwelt in the country of the expelled Cushite race, who were of the house of Ham. These were the people who conquered Egypt at so early a period, and built the great works of that country above named. The Cushites, as stated by Richard Watson in his Historical Dictionary, page 282, were driven out of their Asiatic possessions along the Gulf of Persia and along the northern side of the Red Sea by the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, both of the lineage of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham were always prone to rearing vast herds of cattle, by which means, in a great measure, they acquired wealth and power. Such were the shepherd kings, who, for a time, tyrannized over Egypt, as above shown. It was for this very reason that all shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians in the days of Joseph, the Hebrew, as stated, Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, for they remembered the cruelties of the red-skinned shepherd kings. From all points, therefore, it is evident that the original negroes of the Nile, the swarthy woolly heads of the race of Ham, did not profit by a knowledge of letters or any other knowledge of the house of Noah above mere agriculture, till such times as other races of men, 
such as Ishmaelites, Midianites, and Chaldeans, all of the race of Shem and Abraham, had begun to mingle with them. So that by the time of Saul, David, and Solomon, the character of Egypt in relation to enterprise had become vastly changed from her ancient stupidity, from whence we date what may be denominated the architectural age of Egypt. At a very early period, thousands of the Ishmaelite race settled in Africa by invasion along the headwaters of the Nile in Ethiopia, mingling more and more through Egypt, down toward the mouth of that river. This is a matter of history. Watson, page 282. This is evident also from the mummies brought from that country, which were doubtless embalmed as long ago as in the days of David and Solomon, and perhaps as far back as when the Hebrews were in Egypt, all of which, except now and then one, are not of the Negro race, but of a red or copper-colored people, with long straight hair and other characteristics not belonging to the genuine Cushite or race of Ham. From this circumstance it is shown that the ruling people of Egypt in those ages were not the native Negroes, as none but the more wealthy were able to bear the expense of embalming their dead. Says Professor Lawrence, page 292, quote, that a race ever devoted within the period embraced by authentic history to slavery, or to an existence not much better, and possessing, under the most favorable circumstances, only the rudiments of the common arts, and the most imperfect social institutions, should have occupied, in remotest antiquity, undertakings which astonish us even now by their grandeur, and prove so great a progress in civilization and social life, in arts and sciences, that they should have subsequently lost all this surprising progress, and never have exhibited the smallest approximation to such a pre-eminence in any other instance, is a fact extremely difficult to explain. Close quote. The Negroes of Africa, who are the descendants of the Egyptians, the Libyans and the Ethiopians, all the same people, the race of Ham, the first Negroes, for thousands of years, have made no advances in letters, or in any other approximating thereto, as in all Africa, among the Negro tribes and kingdoms, not a gleam of the light of science the precursor of which is the invention of letters, has appeared. Not a hieroglyphic or symbol, no kind of painting, or even knots tied in a string, as in Peru, called quipos, to denote numbers, has appeared in all the vast regions of southern Africa. How is this so? What has induced this amazing stupidity of the native negro? In the annals of no people of the whole earth can there be found evidence of so profound a state of ignorance and apathy with respect to a desire of improvement as among this people, 
for they have not exceeded the beasts of the wilderness where they dwell, who follow the mere instincts of their natures. But in the northern parts of Africa, on account of the mixture of the other races with that of the negro blood, there has arisen more or less improvement in agriculture and government, which has elevated the negro blood a little above their native dead level of their degraded natures. End of chapter 9A